guys have your Bibles, I actually want to take you back in time just a little bit to Psalm 11 from last week and then and over to Job 1. And I want to, I want to make a disclaimer. I'm, I'm going to handle some stuff very fast just for the, for the sake of this format we've been following. We know that people can't use the building and without being crude, I want to be sensitive to not being in the parking lot too long. And so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you sort of two things. Number one, um, John Piper does a much more excellent sermon on this than I'm getting ready to do. And you can find it on desiringgod.org. And, um, and number two, uh, I'm sort of you know wrestling in my spirit that I might just do a longer version of this on YouTube and share it later. Because um, I just think this is really foundational. The crisis sort of reveals where we are. But this is foundational for how we always are sort of facing life. If you go back to, um, well, it would actually be uh, back in time for us, but ahead in time for Job, because Job came before the Psalms, both in the structure of the Scriptures and chronologically. But if you look at Psalm 11, and if you remember from last week, you know, where did the, founda- where did the um, righteous go when the foundations are destroyed? What do we do? But well, we look to what's unchanging. And... Um, as I was pondering through Psalm 11, God sent me to Job because what did Job do when the foundations were destroyed? He looked to the unchanging. And if you go back to Psalm chapter 11, if you look, particularly I'm going to look at verses 4 and 7, but i got to read everything to give the context. But just look back at that psalm with me. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. That's sort of disturbing. His eyelids test the children of man. We sort of think he's, you know, we sort of want to picture God as dealing with the moral bullies of the world. He's going to get those folks, and he's over here helping me be easy. But he just says he tests the children of man. Verse 5 says, the Lord tests the righteous. Oh, my goodness. So he hones in on that. He doesn't just go after the moral bullies, the, 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 the bad folks. He also tests the righteous. But his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Verse 6, let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. Verse 7, for the Lord is righteous, he loves righteous deeds, the upright shall behold his face. You see that? He tests the righteous. Don't make a mistake about this. He tests the righteous, but he also upholds the righteous. Now, you know, who was it? Was it Nietzsche who said that which does not kill me only makes me stronger? Was that Nietzsche or was it Marx? Who cares? It was one of those guys. The truth is, that's only sometimes true. It's not always true. Um, sometimes what actually kills you makes you stronger. You, know, you want a case in point of that? Let's look at the deacon Stephen. Walking with Jesus killed him, but it also made him stronger. So, that's not always true. It didn't take Psalm 11 or the story of Job to shake me to my core when it came to dealing with the true nature of God. It happened pretty early in my walk and studying the New Testament when I see all the things that would be absolutely impossible without the grace of God. For example, he says, your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. I feel like he's hammering the Pharisees. He doesn't. He's hammering everybody who's not doing as good as them or better, which is me. Or I get to a place like in Romans where he says, Jacob have I loved, and what? Who knows? Esau I've what? I'll never forget reading that as a very newborn Christian shutting my Bible and going for a long walk. 
I, I didn't like this image of God. I didn't like the notion that I could be walking with God and trying to do my best and doing my best as far as I could tell, and God still come and test me. So it made me uncomfortable. But I'll tell you what, if you've, if you've uh, ever stepped on a on unshaky ground, uh, you know, I, I'll never forget, I stepped off onto a boat one time, off a pier onto a boat, and I wasn't so fat then as I am now, and I thought the boat would hold me, and it flipped right over, uh, gashed my head on the, on the pier, and immediately went in the water. And I just thought, man, I thought that would hold me. Psych. Well, when we invent a God, when we invent a God that's not the real God, we discover a lot of times in crisis that that invented God doesn't hold us up. So I want the real God, even if it seems and feels a little bit harsh to me. And notice I said seems. I hope so. I'll call it that I said seems. I put some emphasis on that. Seems harsh to me. So let's take a quick adventure into the opening parts of Job. And just for the sake of time, I'm only going to begin by reading Job 1. 20 through 22. Uh, I think you guys have it in your bulletin or you found it in the scriptures. This is what it says. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Say it together. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Fathers, we open your word. It takes you to give us understanding. Illumine our minds and increase our affections. In Christ we pray. Amen. In as short a time as I can. Let me see if I can paint a picture. If you're to read, uh, if you're just a, I won't, I'm going to paraphrase, but if you're to read like the first few verses of Job chapter 1, you would discover that Job, insofar as people are concerned, Job is, is the best dude around. He's the best dude around. Um, he, he, and you know, in relation to people around him, you know, he, he's blameless. He's trying his best to do everything right. And on top of that, he is totally blessed with familial and material blessings. You can read this, this list here. He's, this dude has thousands of, 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 of uh, head of livestock of all sorts. He's blessed with seven sons. And those seven sons, uh, also have three sisters. He, he's just got a big family, and all his family is prosperous. The Bible tells us that every year on their day, I guess this means their birthday. Good news, Kelly. They have big birthday celebrations here in the Bible, you know. I don't know anybody loves a birthday more than Kelly or Stephanie Bowen. And they invite the whole, so the son would throw a party. So about every 45 days, you know, the average, seven sons, a party every 45 days. And they would party for days, the Bible says. They would celebrate for days. I'm like, if you give me a Duncan Hines, uh, you know, yellow cake with some chocolate frosting, that's a pretty good party. But they would party for days. And then at the end of this time, here's what the Bible says. It says, Job, verse 5, says, Job, at the end of the days of the feast, when they had run their course, Job would send for his sons and he'd consecrate them. He'd set them aside. In other words, he said, let's me and you get with the Lord. You've had your time of, 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 of partying or celebrating on your day and you know why the Bible says it in Job 1 5? It says he did that in case they had sinned in their heart during that time. In that time of prosperity and celebration, they had gotten off of spiritual kilter. The 
Bible says Job would call him to the side and do an inventory and get him right. This dude is a neat guy. Well, then calamity strikes. The, the literal rug is pulled out from under. And you can look at it as simply a work of the devil, but you've got to go back and look at Psalm 11. The Bible tells us God tests the righteous. And in, in a matter of moments, they describe how one messenger says, this has been destroyed. Another messenger says, this has been destroyed. Another messenger says, this has been destroyed. And while he's talking to his messengers, a high wind blows over the, the house at the party where the uh, oldest son and all his siblings and their families were and kills all his children. Suddenly, COVID-19 just seems pretty chill to me. Right? And it happened in a myriad of ways. Armed robbers, fire, um, wind, <laughs> you know, the, the, the broken nature of man and the, and the powerful elements. I always thought it was interesting in this story that wind kills his family. And what's one of the ways we recognize Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Just find it interesting. And so... Uh, why did all this happen? Satan apparently, well not apparently, you can look at it in Job chapter 1 verses uh, 6 through 12. It says he's having this meeting in heaven with God and God goes, yo devil, what you been doing? That's a direct quote, you can find it. And the devil's like, yeah, I've been walking around, walking back and forth on the earth, checking things out. And God says, did you notice Job? He's like, yeah. You notice my servant Job. Do you see that he's not like everybody? He's not totally giving in to all this wickedness. And the devil says, yeah, God's because he's totally blessed. You take all that stuff away and watch what he does. So it's not just stuff. It's stuff. It's wealth. It's position. And it's his family. So this is what God says. He says, I, I tell you what you can do, devil. You can do anything you want to do, but you can't lay a hand on his body. Can't hurt him, can't kill him. So then the enemy comes against Job and does all this stuff. What is Job's response? Job's response is those verses we read a few moments ago. Job has three expressions of utter brokenness. Did you notice them? Three different expressions. One would have been a symbol of huge, just huge grief. He shaves his head. He tears his clothes. And he falls down the ground. And what does Job do in the complete brokenness and expression of grief in the face of his personal calamity? He does grieve, but he also worships. Now let's fast forward in the story. Satan is back again in heaven. This is in chapter 2. And, and uh, I'm being ridiculous just to make my point fast, but you know, God's talking to Satan. He's like, hey, do you see how Job handled that? He fell apart, but he didn't fall away. He fell apart, but he didn't fall away from the faith. And you know what? You know what Satan says? He's like, cool. Cool. Great. You took his camels, you took his donkeys, you took everything, you killed his kids. All right. But you didn't let me touch him. If you caused some pain in that dude's life, he would walk away from you. But God says, all right, strike his body any way you want to, just don't kill it. Round two. Round two, and if you were to look at chapter two, you would see round two is pretty gruesome. Job is struck with a sickness, 
And the sickness is so severe that the Bible tells us Job sits around scraping his skin with pottery. Eighth grade, I went through a semester or half a school year, whatever you call it, with terrible acne. And I wanted to go to school every day with a, a bag over my head, you know. I just, I didn't even like looking at myself. Uh, I could not, and, and I, you know, even then, I, I mean, I just hated the way I looked. I hated the way it felt. My face was sore. Some of you guys have gone through that in your, your early years. I couldn't imagine being so much in emotional despair and so much in physical brokenness that I'm sitting around with a piece of a flower pot scratching myself. That, that, that's my medicinal help, <laughs> scraping myself with pottery. That's where Job is. And to make matters worse, his wife comes over. Here you go, ladies. Happy Mother's Day. His wife comes over and goes, man, this isn't working out so good for you. You know, you should just curse God and die. I think his biblical response is, I ain't going to do it. I love her question. This is, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Basically, what she's saying is, do you still believe God is for you? Do you still believe God is good? I love Job's response, Job 2.10. He said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? And the Bible says this. Look at Job 2.10. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Do you see that? There's a clue into this whole story. All his children are dead, all his property is destroyed. At the end of chapter 1, it says, In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Takes it to the next level that Job didn't sin with his lips. Let me ask y'all a question. I see our time is fleeting. I'll try to get to the point. You ever been at that place where you're going through all the motions, but your heart isn't with God? Anybody but me? Okay, just me. <laughs> you're doing everything right. But it feels like you've been smitten beyond your ability to enjoy life. Whether you've charged God in it, whether you've charged the devil, whether you've charged circumstances, whether you've charged your own sin, you've taken an account of things, and you go, I just can't take it anymore. I know better than to do wrong, but I just can't seem to enjoy doing right. If you've ever been there for 15 minutes, imagine being there with the frame of your entire existence. That's where Job was. I believe he could commiserate with the guy in Psalm 88. He says, man, I just, whew. I just rue the day I was ever born, so to speak. But there's the picture. Except Job was steadfast in crisis. How do I know that? Because he was devoid of physical comfort. He was stripped of the sweetness of life. He still had enough sense to know that God is good and worthy of worship. God is good and worthy of worship. Now, if any of you are at all anything like me, you're listening to this story and you go, wait a minute, that ain't right, that ain't fair. You know, if I read this right, God allows Satan to do it, and if God allows Satan to do it, then really God did it. If you, if you heard that in the story, guess what? You're tracking. He did. You say, wait a minute, God tells us not to kill, why is he killing? Well, it's, it's sort of simple. It's simple to understand, it's difficult to absorb. But, you know, if Jake runs up his heel right now and kills me, Jake can kill me, but he can't raise me back to life. Plus, Jake is not omniscient and doesn't know 
the fullness of justice. God is omniscient, omnipotent. If he kills me, he can raise my body. Plus, I belong to him. I don't belong to Jake. It's a crime on Jake's hands. It wouldn't be a crime in God's hands. So that sense of fairness may be true when we deal with it in the realm of man, but it's not accurate when we deal with it in the truth of our God. So, I see my time has really gone by. I don't know if anybody's noticed. I had not even dealt with any of my notes. Thanks, Tammy. I needed that laugh. Got your bullets. I want you to fill in these blanks. As I was studying this, uh, I said, just, I, I, like I told you, I, I don't take any credit for these theological truths, these points of application. I got them straight from John Piper. You can find them on the website. Um, is it stealing if you give credit? I don't guess so. Let me give you four theological truths that John Piper points out. Number one, Satan's aim is to destroy our joy in God. Satan's aim is to destroy our joy in God. Number two, God aims to magnify his worth in the lives of his people. Here's something you, we really have to wrestle with. If you love something more than God, that is dangerous. God sees that as competition, and it also sees his children as settling for something less. Number three, God grants to Satan limited power to cause pain. I'll never forget. I think, Brad, if memory serves me correct, you were on that trip where I got burned with the grease, right? I'll never forget. It was, was, was still laying on the floor. The ambulance hadn't even got there. And, and I sort of said to God, you know, okay, I don't need this Job thing. What are you trying to say to me? You were wearing a Job shirt. I was wearing a Job shirt. It said Job 31.1 on the shirt. I say to God, I don't need this Job thing. <laughs> if you're trying to break through to me, I'm like little Samuel. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Fourthly, Satan's work is ultimately the work of God. Now, that makes somebody uncomfortable. I want to tell you, if it makes you uncomfortable, you're at least in large company because it makes me uncomfortable. But it's true. Right now, a lot of us in our communities, in our, in our culture, we're running around... We're mad at this governor or that president, this entity, that institution. The more healthy question isn't what are they doing, the more healthy question is what is God doing? God doesn't create evil, but he'll certainly use evil. You remember Joseph's declaration? What Joseph tells his brothers, he says, what y'all, well, that's Tim Bose's paraphrase, what you meant for evil, God means for good. God doesn't cause evil, but he'll use evil. And it's just a truth. Ultimately, ultimately, Satan's work is the work of God. So Piper says there's three implications. All right. One, he says, let us join with Job and affirm with all our hearts the absolute sovereignty of God. One of the biggest problems in Tim Bose's life is I'll have an idea of how things should go and how they will go, and I'll create a scenario that was never in the mind of God, and I'll have to discover I'm fighting God to try to achieve my thing rather than receiving from God what is his thing. And what I, always, I wind up in this spot so many times. God, you're the boss. You're in charge. Second implication, 
Let your tears flow freely when your calamity comes. It was that sentence. It was that sentence that made me decide to share these thoughts from Piper. It was that sentence. That's a sentence I would never write. I grew up, I was told to choke back my tears. Don't cry. It's not manly. Quit it. Stop. But debt I see in Job, an example of a man who feels free to wail before God and the God who doesn't smite his servant in the face of his protest. I find that very encouraging. Let your tears flow freely when your calamity comes. Thirdly, Piper would say, trust in the goodness of God and let him be your treasure and your joy. I like how the psalmist says, in Psalm 63, the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. I found myself in these days, I keep telling people, there's some things that are more important in your life. And I've had all sorts of reactions to that statement. There's some things more important in your life. It feels like life is the most important thing. Politically speaking, I just find it hilarious that the same people who want to protect every life in COVID-19 is the exact same crowd that doesn't want to protect every life in the womb. It's interesting to me. But to the believer, we have to understand there's something better than life. Steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. In other words, if, if I lose God's life, if I, if I lose God's love, if I'm disconnected from God's love and I'm still alive, that, that's worse than staying in God's love and being dead. Now, that's all the smart stuff John Piper would say. Let me give you all the dumb stuff Tim would say. Two things in closing. Everybody's going to have trouble. Look at your neighbor and do a little neighbor preaching tonight. Everybody's going to have trouble. Tell them. Everybody's going to have trouble. Everybody. Tell them. Y'all in the back row, tell them. Everybody's going to have trouble. All right. That's one. Two. But not everybody's going to live victorious in the middle of it. Everybody's going to have trouble. Not everybody's going to live victorious in the middle of it. How can, you look at, how can you look at Job's life and say that's victorious? I can say it's victorious because Job did not allow what was happening in the moment to swallow up eternity, but he did trust eternity to swallow up what's happening in the moment. Did you catch that case? I need to say that again. He did not allow what was happening in the moment to swallow up eternity. But he sought eternity to swallow up what's happening in the moment. You want another lesson in this? Here's a quick one. When Mary and Martha came out to talk to Jesus after Lazarus died, Jesus probes and says, hey, listen, you believe in the resurrection? Sort of offhand, yeah, yeah, I know. When the resurrection comes, well, I'll see my brother again. I get it. And Jesus says, Lady, I'm the resurrection. Your hope isn't in a time. And if it is, it's a misplaced hope. It's a wrong idea of resurrection. Your hope has to be in me. And then what's he do? He goes and displays it. Lazarus, come up out of the grave. Believer, if I give you some bunny rabbits and daffodils version of God, I build for you some sort of platform that at best is a mirage. You can't stand on that. 
But if I tell you that in covenant relationship with the living God, ultimately he will work everything out for your joy. Then when calamity comes and your fake God collapses, your real God will remain. Everybody's like, man, I'm so glad I came to the parking lot. I'm so glad I kept paying my internet bill so I could be with Tim on this hill tonight. Some of you guys, some of you guys are facing things that has nothing to do with COVID-19. Some of you guys are facing things that COVID-19 is magnifying the, the trouble. All of us are dealing with at least this weird time of life. What would the lesson be for us? The lesson would be that it's okay to shave your head, rent your garment, and fall on your face. And it's right in that process to worship God in the face of this crisis. It's right. He's still worthy of worship. He's still our only hope. And while this doesn't paint one of those, you know, sort of rainbow and sunshine views of God, it does give an accurate description of who he is. He tests even the righteous. He is sitting on his throne in heaven and he tests even the righteous. And what he ultimately wants for us is for us to treasure him at the level that he's worth treasuring. And to treasure everything else only at the level it's worth treasuring. Everybody's going to face trouble, but not everybody's going to live a victorious life. We're all facing trouble. How many of you guys are living a victorious life? Father, thank you for a chance to share from your word. God, give us grace in this moment to appreciate the full cross and the empty tomb. Give us the grace to appreciate that because Jesus paid the debt of our sins, we can be in a right relationship with you. And because Jesus defeated the enemy of death before our very eyes, we know that death has no claim on him who claims us. We are people of hope. And when our circumstances circumvent our reason for hope, bring us back to the truth that makes us stable. In Jesus I pray, amen.